Well, if you are visiting with us this morning, maybe you're joining us online this morning and you're, you're picking up on the sense that there's a, a bit of a fixation on Psalm 23 and you're thinking, well, what, what on earth is that about? We have been running uh, as God's people into uh, the shelter and the warmth of this beautiful description of what it is to belong to the flock of God. And our concern has been not so much do you know the psalm, but do you know the shepherd? There's a big difference. And what we've seen as we have been working our way through this beautiful, familiar song is, is a couple of things that are common to all of God's children. Two, two very practical realities. God's people are being restored to him and led by him into a life that brings him glory. I wonder, do you ever think of your Christianity that way? That you are one who has been and right now are being restored to God, day by day restored as an image bearer of God and led by him into a life that brings him glory. David, ancient Israel's shepherd king, sings of this wonderful reality, doesn't he, in, in, in these familiar words, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his namesake. Who does this? Who, who is this shepherd? Well, the Lord sings David. He is Yahweh, the, the, the one true God, uh, the, the, the maker and sustainer of all things. God who has called to himself, not all people, but his people, and has made a covenant with them, a covenant of loyal love, that he will be their God and they will be his people. And God is faithfully fulfilling this covenant to his own, not from a distance, not conceptually, but up close and in reality in the person of Jesus Christ. Remember, Jesus said, I and my father are one. And Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for his sheep. What is the Lord doing? All along this pilgrimage that we who are his sheep are on. Well, Jesus, the shepherd king of God's people, sings David, faithfully restores. And he leads his people in such a way that the shepherd is glorified. The king is glorified. And so verse 3 is our focus this morning. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his namesake. What does it mean to be restored, do you suppose? 
Well, we're, we're meant to be helped, not from the world of, you know, fixing up old cars and houses and that sort of thing, but from the world of shepherding and sheep. Psalm 23 is, is the sheep's eye of the view of the shepherd, isn't it? So we're, we're meant to, as sheep, look and behold the wonder of our God, our, our good shepherd, our Jesus. Why would a sheep need to be restored? Well, shepherds have a term for this condition. A, a sheep that is cast or cast down is a sheep that has fallen or wandered willingly onto soft earth and is stuck there, unable to get up on its own four legs by itself. It needs help from outside of itself. It needs help from the shepherd to get up and going again. A sheep that is cast or or cast down can't follow the shepherd and falls behind the rest of the flock, is, is out of step with the flock because it can't step at all. That's the whole point. Easy prey for predators, hopelessly stuck. I mentioned last week, I think it was last week, a Scottish shepherd uh, whose whose book I'll mention again later, but he he says in Scotland, the expression among shepherds is is coped. A, A sheep that is coped is hopelessly stuck. And can't get up. And just, just think of, you know, in, in our vernacular, we often say, you know, I just can't cope with this. You know, she, she just doesn't seem to be able to cope with, we understand what this means. It's not uh, um, super complicated, is it? What kinds of sheep become cast or cast down? All kinds of sheep. Healthy sheep. Well-nourished sheep. Relatively smart sheep, but also weak sheep. Undernourished sheep. Relatively dim sheep. It's all relative. (laughs) Because we are all sheep. The prophet Isaiah says this. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one. To his own way. So there is a sense in which the prophet says all of God's sheep are born coped or or cast, cast down, unable to see, let alone deal with our dilemma of having been born alienated from God. And try as we might, and oh, we do try, we can't on our own get to God. In fact, we're predisposed to stray from God. We go our own way until the good shepherd comes in his great mercy. And he comes to us in strength and in kindness to restore us to himself. And so we who are sheep, we who are God's sheep, thrill at Isaiah's very next words, don't we? The Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Well, that that brings us straight to Calvary, doesn't it? This is to do with the cross. This is what our, our good shepherd has done. 
The Lord, Yahweh, has laid on him the good shepherd, Jesus. The iniquity, our iniquity, that separates us from God. Christ came into this world for the express purpose, did he not? Of restoring his cast down sheep by giving his life for his sheep. Do you know Jesus in this way? You say, well, I know this psalm. I'm not asking you that. Do you know Jesus? And friend, if you're here today and you're cast down in the sense that the weight of your alienation from God is something you feel at your very core, I want to just encourage you that that feeling is a gift from God. Praise his name. And I urge you to cry out to the good shepherd whose blood shed on that cross is sufficient for you. He took the hell you deserve at Calvary. Let him clothe you with the white wool of his own righteousness. What a shepherd we have. He is the good shepherd. In a world full of crummy shepherds. Let him bring you to God. Like a sheep drawn to the voice of its shepherd. My heart is that you would leave this place. On this day. Knowing in your heart. He restores. My soul. Here's the thing. I mentioned earlier that Psalm 23 is really um, the, the sheep's eye view of the shepherd. And I mention it again to remind us that these six verses that are so familiar to us um, are descriptive of the one who is already in the sheepfold of God's saving grace. This is the cadence of the Christian life. And remember that the melody of this of this song is is that of contentment, wellness of soul, a contentment that can't be stolen away by circumstances. It can't be stolen away by other people. It can't even be lost to us by ourselves because this contentment is sourced from outside of us. It's sourced by the good shepherd. And so David has said, I shall not want. What? It's to do with him, not me. On my own, I want all sorts of stuff. And it's usually stuff in our culture. And this contentment, this wellness of soul is constantly being nourished. In fact, it needs to be nourished and it needs to be enlivened in us by the green pastures, David says, the word of God and the means of grace that flow to us from the word of God. All of it enlivened by the still waters, the work of the Holy Spirit. And so David sings, he makes me to lie down. In green pastures, he leads me beside the still waters. And so it's in that context, the Christian context, that we are to make something out of this business of restoration of soul. And do do you think it's possible that God is telling us straight up in his word 
that Christians need to be restored in their soul? Listen, God's people know by experience what it is to be cast or cast down. And you say, well, I don't think that's true. Well, buckle up. And just know that it might be that you just haven't lived enough life yet. Okay? We know it's true. Every one of us. And I want to just encourage you that if you, if you feel the, the burden of this, even now, a, a, a despondency, a, a despair, a, um, you, you, you're not abnormal in that. You may be abnormal in other ways, but not that. <laughs> You're a sheep, and so am I. And by way of our own doing, or by way of God's wise providence, we know by experience what it is to be stuck, to be despondent, to be dejected. Uh, to, to, to maybe even be immobilized in terms of our actively following the shepherd, journeying with the flock in this pilgrimage, this, this life that he's called us to live. And I, I'm going to go out on a limb here and, and just suppose that there are some among us here today. You know the good shepherd. You love the good shepherd. But you're stuck. And, and, and you're despondent. And you're despairing. And we don't talk about it that much because it just isn't churchy. Have you noticed that? It should be churchy. We're sheep. The word translated restores in verse 3. He restores my soul conveys the idea of being turned back, uh, to, to, to be brought back into the way things were, the original state. And, and what do you suppose we sheep then might from time to time need to be turned back from, uh, brought back to? Well, here's the thing. At times, God's people are cast down for reasons unknown to them and uncaused by them. Do you realize that? Why is that? It's because we're spiritual beings. And we live oftentimes without an awareness that there is spiritual warfare raging all around us. It's happening right now among us. The little whisper to me, they already know this stuff. They're not interested in this stuff. The little whisper to you, is it going to be Elmer's or Denny's? I mean, somebody's got to decide these things, right? I mean, you don't have to pretend that this doesn't happen. And it's, it's only funny, I think, because we know it does happen. There's spiritual warfare raging all around us. And I, I, think, it, I think we would maybe consider Psalm 23 to be David's greatest hits. But, but, but let's just say there was an album. Lots of great hits. You'd have to include, I think, Psalm 42 and Psalm 43. Listen to what he sings in Psalm 42. Why are you cast down, O my soul? Why are you disquieted within me? 
hope in God, for I shall yet praise him for the help of his countenance. You see, God's people are relentlessly attacked by the enemy of souls who thrills to harass in these ways. Listen to what Charles Spurgeon told the young men at the pastor's college in London. Spurgeon says, Even under the economy of redemption, it is most clear that we are to endure infirmities. Otherwise, there were no need of the promised spirit to help us in them. It is of need be that we are sometimes in heaviness. Spurgeon says that. A fellow prone to depression, or what he would call melancholy. At times, God's people are cast down for reasons completely unknown to them and uncaused by them. We, 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 as, we, as we grow up in Jesus, we want to understand that and not be surprised by it. And certainly not always listen to the person who says, well, somebody ain't living right. Other side of the same coin, though, you know where this is going. Oftentimes, God's people are cast down because of their own foolishness and because of their own pride, because of their own carelessness and apathy. And I speak from experience. And that is why I suggested to you that you spend some time reacquainting yourselves with the, uh, the gospel accounts of, of Peter's failure, familiar as it is. It, it was helpful to some of you, I trust, to, to get reacquainted with Mark's account and John's account of all of that business. Uh, because Peter, like David, knew, knew all about being cast down and, and the state of despondency that comes from our own sloppiness in our pilgrimage. Are you, are you ever sloppy in your pilgrimage? Don't, don't look around. <laughs> so what do we know of Peter? Peter was proud. I'll never deny you, Lord, though I can see how those other weaklings would. I get it. Oh, he was proud. And do you suppose among God's people today, there are always going to be those who are smug and puffed up. Remember last week I mentioned the bully sheep. The sheep runs around thinking he's the shepherd. She's the shepherd. They're not. He is. And they just sort of live with the notion that they just kind of wait for everybody to catch up to where they are. And how many of you know that's irritating? And, and if the Lord is speaking to your heart right now about this pride business, I, I say this in love, not to just say that you're irritating, but, 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 to, but to caution you, but to caution you, what were some of the reasons why sheep couldn't benefit from the green pastures? We looked at this last week. Fear? A, a sheep that is afraid will not lie down and rest. Uh, antagonism? Irritation. The, the same way you and I can't enjoy a picnic in the summer when we're being attacked by uh, mosquitoes or something, right? This is not complicated stuff. And, and so, so, so the proud sheep who are just sort of waiting for everybody else to catch up and, and maybe feel that they are just imparting the greatest things to the sheep around them as they catch up, 
um, need to be told from time to time, you know, mostly that's just irritating. And, and you're keeping the other sheep from being able to rest in the Lord. You're not imparting as much as you might think. So irritated sheep don't eat. But I mention that as well because the smug sheep is in danger. The proud sheep is in danger. Simon, Simon, Satan has asked for you that he may sift you as wheat. That doesn't sound good, does it? I mean, whatever that means, it doesn't sound good. But I have prayed for you that your faith would not fail. And when you've returned, <laughs> what else about Peter? Peter served in his own strength and by his own understanding, didn't he? I mean, you got, you got to admire the, the, the gumption to draw the sword, cut off the guy's ear. You remember that business? Still thinking the kingdom of God would come by human means. And I wonder if there might be some among God's flock in our time still thinking that the kingdom of God is brought about by human means. Peter loved Jesus. And Peter followed Jesus. But Mark's gospel makes very plain that when Jesus allowed himself to be led from Gethsemane, Peter followed, but he followed from a distance. Did you pick up on that? How instructive that is, following from a distance. Are, are any here today truly saved? You love the Lord. But, but you've, been, you've been following from a distance, you see, because we're entering a season in our culture where it's starting to cost something to be one of the Jesus people. Have you noticed that? Somehow along the way, we've let pragmatism replace faith. What do I mean by that? This is what we do as long as it's going to work out the way we want it to. How many of you know that is not the life of faith? Somehow along the way, we've let a self-protective, you know, keeping myself comfortable kind of demeanor cast a shadow over our journey home. And so we know up here, David's about to say, yay, though I walk through the valley of happy times. No, I mean, we know this stuff. So much more could be said of this experience of Peter because it's our experience sometimes, isn't it? We know what it is to be cast down. But we know what it is to be stuck and not to be able to cope. And we understand that sometimes the cause is, is unknown to us, but sometimes the cause looks back at us in the mirror, right? Peter was so cast down, as those of you who read John 21 know, that he actually was going to quit the journey of disciple-making that the shepherd had set him on. He's going to go back to commercial fishing when he was called to be a fisher of men. And it's at that point, you know, many believers have this idea that when we're in such a state that God is mostly frustrated with us and he's angry with us and he's disgusted by us and he's fed up by us 
And why do we feel this way? Because we're self-centered, because we have wrong views of God, and it may even be that there are other sheep who kind of help us with this wrong understanding because they act really disgusted with us and fed up with us and impatient with us. But, but what does the good shepherd do? Jesus says, what do you think? If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them goes astray, does he not leave the 99 and go to the mountains to seek the one that is straying? Listen, whether you are cast down for reasons you are unaware of or reasons caused by you, maybe you're in a ditch you dug for yourself, I want to just encourage you that the remedy is the same. Cry out to your good shepherd. And, and, And the Psalter actually helps us with this, not just as individuals, but as a flock. I mean, there are times when it seems the, the entire flock needs to cry out to God and say, you know what, Lord, we've had wrong priorities. We, we've been depending on the wrong things. Oh, God, you have cast us off. You have broken us down. You have been displeased. Oh, restore us again, says Psalm 60 in verse 1. David himself cried out to his good shepherd in repentance from his sin with Bathsheba, didn't he? He, He'd been an adulterer. He'd been a murderer. He'd been a a weak, crummy leader. uh, And he despaired deeply. And yet his despair was not the despair of self-centeredness. It was a godly sorrow that led to repentance. And we know this song, Psalm 51. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence. Do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me, there it is again, restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me by your generous spirit. How does your good shepherd Respond to such a cry. Well, sings David, he restores my soul. He restores my soul. The shepherd comes not with anger and frustration and disgust and impatience, but he comes with tenderness and with strong kindness to turn us back to usefulness. Peter had that very experience, didn't he? Think about this. Why do you suppose... Are you still listening? Yes. Every once in a while, move your heads or something. <laughs> right. um, why do you suppose Peter, or Jesus, asked Peter three times, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? And, 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 and before you say, well, the first time, the first word love is phileo, and then, and then the next one is agape, and it's to do with, stop that. Don't, don't, don't go there first, all right? This is big crayon stuff. When Jesus asks a question, he don't need the answer. So it's not to do with that at all. Jesus knows Peter loves him. Peter needed to be reminded how much he loved Jesus. Peter needed to be brought to an awareness that he really is one of God's sheep. 
And he really needs this restoration on an ongoing basis from the good shepherd. And yes, he really has been called to usefulness. And so so David says in Psalm 23, verse 3, he restores my soul, but he doesn't just lead me there. He he leads me in the paths of righteousness. He he doesn't just restore me. He he gets me up and going again. How many of you know the Christian life is, is a life that gets up and gets going in a direction? It is not a life of just thinking deep thoughts. The word translated leads, wait for this, it's super complicated, means to guide or to govern. How do you know if you're walking in paths of righteousness? Is Jesus Christ governing your life? You know you're being restored, not by the absence of heavy feelings. Those come and go, don't they? You know you're being restored not by the absence of outside troubles. Those also come and go. You know you're being restored by the reality of knowing that you're led by Jesus through all of that stuff, and you're being led into a life that brings him glory. This is what the shepherd does when he restores his sheep. Listen, if you're not following Jesus, you're not following Jesus if you're not living in righteousness. Because that's always where he leads. That that is the only direction he leads. And you're not a follower of Jesus at all if your life is not now and never truly was governed by Jesus Christ. This is what it is to be a Christian. For all of his sheep, sings David, he leads me, he, he guides me, he governs me. But you know, that word leads is, is a precious word because it also means this. It means to transport. That's interesting because it suggests that with the leading and the guiding comes enablement to move. Don't miss that. When you are indwelt by the Spirit of God, All of the things that God gives to you to do in his word come alive and become possibilities, not impossibilities, because of his enablement. The Lord never commands you to do anything without enabling you to do it. So so when I don't do it, the, 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 the shortfall is always on my account, not his. Maybe you can relate to that. The good shepherd's leadership guides and enables his sheep to follow. And so, listen, do you you care if this is practical for just a minute? Some of us need a new vocabulary because we say with respect to the things that God directs us to do, I can't. And what we want to do as God's people is repent of that and at least be honest enough to say, I won't. I won't. I'm not commending that disposition. I'm just saying that's more honest. In other words, only the person who wants to follow Christ will actually do so. What do I mean by that? The good shepherd changes your want to. The sheep want to feed from the green pastures. The sheep thirst for the still waters. 
The, the, the sheep desire to be led on paths of righteousness. The, the sheep thrill at the glory of his name because the shepherd makes it so. So much so that when Jesus said to Peter, feed my lambs, tend my sheep, feed my sheep. And Peter said something like, well, what about John? And, and Jesus says, well, never mind about John. You follow me. Loose paraphrase. <laughs> Jesus said those things knowing that the Spirit would be sent, the helper, the paraclete, you guys know this word, one who comes alongside in power to enable the silent shepherd who enabled Peter to do precisely what the good shepherd had led him to do and enabled Peter to stop doing all the stuff the good shepherd had told him to stop doing. Do you think that might apply to us? What direction does the good shepherd lead? What, what do you suppose is meant by paths of righteousness? Do you realize we need to be very, very careful at this point not to come up with our own take on what this means? Don't stay long in a Bible study group where the main vibe is, what does this verse mean to you? Do you realize that it really doesn't matter a hill of beans what it means to you or me? It means what it means. It means what God said it means. And our privilege is to discover this and, and to step into what God says it means. So you and I don't decide, yes, I'm on a path of righteousness right now. Well, how do we know that? What, what does that even mean? Derek Kidner, in, in his commentary on the Psalms, says this. He says, in terms of sheep, it means no more than right paths as opposed to wrong ones. And then he says, but it has a demanding moral content for the human flock. So in other words, we're talking about behavior, not thoughts alone. Does that make sense? So, so paths of righteousness are not things we think about. They're, they're, it's a life that we're meant to actually live in real time. Let me ask you something. Does the direction of your life right now make sense to God? I don't, I don't mean, does it make sense to you? Does it make sense to God as he describes the life of his sheep and his word? Are, are the decisions you're making right now in your life right, not in your eyes, but in the eyes of God? Doesn't the scripture say there is a way that seems right to a man, but the end thereof is death? That doesn't sound good, does it? This is a prevailing theme of book one of the Psalms. Two ways of life. Despite all of the diversity on planet earth, God says to us in his word, you know what, there's two kinds of people. There are ungodly people and there are righteous people. And these paths, these well-worn ruts of righteousness that God's sheep are given to walk in are described this way in Psalm 1. For such a sheep, his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law, he meditates day and night. 
He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth its fruit in its season, whose leaf also shall not wither, and whatever he does shall prosper. You see, the the good shepherd restores you and me and gets us up and going again onto the path that leads us to what? The fruit of righteousness in our lives. A, a, A way of life that fulfills God's purpose for calling us to himself in the first place. So so we deliberately comply with the really specific instructions of God's word. Let me me just give you a few examples. And, And we do this from time to time, and I think we have an agreement that I pick the easy ones. And then you guys talk about it later and do the deeper stuff, right? So, here, so here's the easy stuff. You shall have no other gods before me. Children, obey your parents. Flee youthful lusts. Abstain from sexual immorality. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loves his church. Wives, do not let your adornment be merely outward, but let it be the hidden person of the heart with the incorruptible beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit. Honor your father and mother. Submit to governing authorities, even the really crummy ones. All the way to the point where human authority bids you to disobey God. And at that point, we ought to obey God and not man. And even at that point, we let the Lord own the outcome of it. Pray for the king. Don't curse him. You, all of you, go and make disciples. All of this, says the good shepherd, these are the paths of righteousness that I'm leading you on. This is the scenery that you find along these paths of righteousness. So you and I don't get to decide whether we're on it or not. We look at the scenery as described in the word of God, the green pastures in the hands of the Holy Spirit. And we're affirmed or we're warned. You know, one of the reasons sheep perish when they're cast down is they prefer to stay in that soft place. Remember, to be cast as a sheep, to be coped, uh, is to be lying down in soft earth and, and for a while you're pretty comfortable there until you just, you just can't get up. And now it becomes a problem. And how many of you know shepherds actually chase their sheep out of the soft earth when they look like they're going to cozy in there because they know they're going to get stuck. Do you suppose that among God's sheep, there are those who mostly govern their lives by the principle of wanting to be in the soft spot? The the, the life of ease. The, The life that doesn't demand much. Doesn't really cost anything. And do you suppose our good shepherd loves us enough to chase us out of those spots? He does. He absolutely does. Because he knows we won't grow 
and we won't serve best there. We're, we're meant to keep going. We're meant to get up and get going. Last week I mentioned the book by Philip Keller. A shepherd looks at the 23rd Psalm. Let me just quote from Keller. He says, Obedience is not an easy thing to learn. We do not learn it by singing beautiful hymns about it, nor by hearing exhortations about it, but by practicing it. It's just one step of obedience, and then the next step of obedience, and so on. Led by the Word in the hands of the Spirit. Now let, let's just end with one last point here. And I think you know what I'm going to say. Not right away, but, but eventually. Um, to, to, to what purpose is this all given? He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness so that I'll never be cast down, so that I'll never experience difficulties, so that life will go the way I prefer for it to go so that I will always serve in his kingdom the way I decide I want to serve in his... It doesn't say that. We, we treat it like it does. Or not you, but, you know, the people in the first service. Um, I mean, we, 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 we think of this psalm that way. That's not what it says at all. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Do you realize you have been created anew in Christ for the glory of His name? The lives of the sheep reflect the shepherd's reputation. The attitude and direction of my life either shames or vindicates my shepherd's good name. Says who? Says Psalm 23. What does your life speak to others about the nature of your God? Do, do, do they see in you that God is holy? Do, do they experience from me that God is relentlessly loving and kind and merciful, forgiving? Do, do they hear in us that God is truthful? The truth is not relative. Does the world see in God's church that he is all-sufficient? He's present and he's powerful. Or, or do we give the impression that for all practical purposes we worship a false God who is distant and insufficient and weak? You see, our shepherd king, Jesus, acts in ways that benefit his sheep not just for our blessing, for our good, but that he might proclaim the glory of his very nature through his sheep. You know, they used to build cathedrals back in the, I don't know, medieval times or whatever. And they're all museums now, unfortunately. But um, they used to build cathedrals with the idea that uneducated people could go into this building and say, God is amazing. Now, what cathedral exists on planet Earth today, do you suppose, that the watching world is meant to see and say, God is amazing. He's glorious. He's powerful. He's wise. He's strong. He's present. You are the temple. We are the temple of the living God. 
He does all of this, our good shepherd, for his namesake, for his namesake. All glory to him. All glory to him. Do you realize, friend, that Christ has hung his glory? He has hung the honor of his name, Savior, on your salvation and his faithful shepherding of your life. I mentioned this Scottish guy, this Scottish shepherd, uh, Doug McMillan. Uh, He wrote a book called The Lord, Our Shepherd. And and he puts it this way. He says, yes, your soul is vitally important to him because he loves you. Don't, Don't forget that. But it is also important because his glory is linked to the salvation of his sheep. So we're back where we started. God's people are being restored to him and led by him into a life that brings him glory. That's it. Let's pray. Lord, we love you. We thank you for this beautiful song. And as familiar as it is, Lord, every time we sing it, we see more of your beauty, your excellence, your generosity to save and to sanctify and one day to glorify your people. Lord, help us to see ourselves more and more in reality. We're sheep, (laughs) so prone to wander. And you are the good shepherd, the all-sufficient one. Lord, I pray if there are any here today just experiencing the the, the heaviness, the conviction of, of being apart from you, Lord, would you bring salvation to souls among us this day? And Lord, I pray for we who are your sheep. May we be careful, Lord, not to define for ourselves what we think it means to be walking on your paths, but to see them as you've given them to us in your word and understand that you provide an enablement for our walking and you do it all for your name's sake. And so we pray this in your name. Amen.